Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 145. We're going to look at the whole psalm. And I am really thrilled to be able to share this next three weeks on this sermon. And the title is Unlock. And I'm wondering how, how many of us have taken the Alive Discipleship Curriculum in our church. Can you go ahead and just raise your hand if you have taken it? Wow, a majority of you have taken it, which is great. I'm just really excited about that. But those of us who are just recently joining our church or you're online watching, if you don't know what the Alive Discipleship Curriculum is, it's pretty much what we're trying to do is trying to teach and to train people in our church to not only be a better follower of Jesus Christ, but to be equipped to be able to teach somebody else to follow Christ. So you're learning to be a disciple of Jesus Christ so that you could then disciple other people to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And those of us who might not know the whole genesis and the story of how everything got started, because uh, a lot of times you're like, how, how do we do this? Why, why did we start this? And some of those questions come up. And so I want to give you a little bit of history uh, coming directly from the person who kind of had to think through this for my own, in my own heart, in my own life. So what happened was we were about maybe 14, almost close to 15 years into our church. Um, so, I mean, we were in double digits uh, in number of years. We saw our church growing in Michigan because my wife and I and a handful of people, we started this back in 1996. And what we have committed ourselves to is just trying to follow Jesus as best as we can. Uh, we have the Bible to lead us and guide us. We have the Holy Spirit that can speak to us and He will guide us and lead us to all truth. And so in the midst of that, we just spent time with people and we were discipling them to the things of the Lord. And we've been doing this for many, many years. And then one time in our staff meeting back then, we had about five different pastors. We had a, a big staff. We were just sitting down, and we were just talking about some of the different issues that came up uh, within our church. And one of the things that came up was this whole transition that was happening during that 14th or some year of our church where there were a lot of older leaders, but many of them were in different stages of their lives, and so some of them were transitioning out. But then we had a lot of young leaders and new leaders who were coming in. So in the midst of that, what began to happen is that the leaders that we raised up for the last 10 plus some years, I mean, they were solid leaders. Uh, they had a lot of experience. They gained the knowledge. They were able to minister, counsel, do all these things. They were pretty much pastoring our church as they were leading life group. And so as we had many of these believers and leaders who were really well equipped, we began to see kind of like a big gap with some of the younger leaders as they were coming in for various reasons. And as we were talking about this, one of the issues that came up is, uh, Pastor, a lot of our younger leaders really don't know how to disciple other people. And I'm just going to confess to you, and I, I was very incredulous. I'm like, what? How? Why, why, why not? You know, that, that was like initially my response, thinking like, why cannot, why, why is it that they don't know how to disciple people? Were they not disciple? And so as some of these pastors were spending time with other people in our church, other leaders and other members in our church, he, they began to share with me, well, the problem is this. It's not so much that they don't know, but they just don't know, have a clear, kind of like a, a method or a guideline to do this. 
And to that, I kind of retorted and I said to them, I said very clearly, I go, why do we need a guideline or some kind of method? Just follow the Bible. That was my response. And yes, that was uh, not the best response, but that was my response. Just follow the Bible. Or like, do, do you not know what Jesus did? Do what Jesus did. And you could t- I could just tell in that room, everyone was kind of like trying to roll their eyes, but they didn't want to roll their eyes at their pastor. But they were just kind of being very patient. They said, yes, we are reading the Bible. Yes, we are trying to help people to follow Jesus. But they just said, if we want to be able to multiply and see many more disciples being raised up in a short period of time, then it's helpful to have something that people can at least learn from and reproduce it. And I'm just telling you right now, I fought it like crazy because I don't like things that are so structured that everyone follows. Oh, that's Asia, right? So, you know, it's just a follow the plan. Just do everything. And for me, I'm just like, well, you could follow a lot of things and it's completely off. And this is the reason why I avoided it for a very long time. But they just said, Pastor, think about all your years of experience to be able to put it down into some of the basic things of what discipleship is all about. And so that we can kind of produce it in some kind of written form and then give it out to people so that at least it can be a guide. It doesn't mean they have to follow exactly, but a guide to train them and to equip them so they can make disciples. So as time passed by, we began to work on a document. And so here I am thinking about all the discipleship principles that I know in the Bible, all the experiences that I had, not only in the States, but in all my travels, doing missions and conferences and all that. As I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself, what are the most important things, the most essential things? Because there's, I mean, we could talk about thousands of principles, but if I had to really narrow it down, what are those things? And I kept on fighting, wrestling within myself to be able to say, these are the things that every follower of Jesus Christ should know and should have and be able to teach other people. So that's how this whole Alive curriculum got started. And so those of us who might not know, and, or those of us who do know, but it's a good review, we have this thing called Alive. So the A stands for what? Alive in Christ, which... <laughs> Very good. (laughs) My mind just stood up one of those jumps as we're talking about the alive curriculum. Abide in Christ. John chapter 15 talks about that. Because if you are a follower of Jesus and you do not know how to abide in Christ, that is your connection. That is your battery source. You will not be able to not only grow as a disciple, but you won't be able to disciple other people. So that's why I said abide in Christ is the one of the most important things that every follower of Jesus Christ needs to learn how to do. And then the L is what? Live by faith. Because when you look at scripture and follower, being a follower of Jesus Christ, it is amazing how many times Jesus called people to step out in faith, to trust in him. And I started looking at my life. I started thinking about all the people that I've discipled in my lifetime. And one of the things I realized is this. Those people who live by faith, they step out and do something that's radical or do something that requires a lot of trust in God. I realized that those are the people who grew spiritually. Now, please don't get me wrong. I spent a lot of people where, where I tried to disciple and it failed miserably. Some of them were bust. I poured my life, my time, my energy, resources, and it's a bust. 
And the way I look at it is it's not necessarily their fault, nor is it my fault. It's just timing. Sometimes they might want to do it because, oh, I get to hang out with the pastor, or they think that it's a, it's a badge of honor kind of thing. And we see that all, oftentimes. And so sometimes it's the timing. They're, they're not there. They haven't gone through things in their life. They haven't been humbled. They haven't experienced some of the pains and different things in their lives. They haven't failed majorly yet, where they realize they need to be discipled. They need to grow. They're not even married yet, so they don't know the conflicts that will come. They don't want, they're not even parents. They don't even know how hard it is to raise kids in this generation. So sometimes it's a timing issue. And so when I thought about it, I said, you know what? Every single person that I did spend time with and the timing was right, I realized that when they grew spiritually was they took a step of faith. Even to the point where people would say, you're crazy. But they trusted in God. This is what God spoke to them through the word, consistent with the word, and they stepped out in faith. The next one is imitate Jesus. I mean, that's a pretty obvious one, that we want to become more like Jesus Christ when it comes to discipleship. And that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against all such things, there is no law. And being reminded that are we more loving, are we more joyful, Do we have more kindness? Do we have more peace in our hearts? These are things that will help us to see that if we're becoming more like Jesus Christ. Then we have the V, which stands for value the kingdom. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ when you value the world. Because Jesus came and literally ushered in a kingdom that was so different from the kingdom of this world. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, what did he say? He said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seeking his kingdom first. And so from that moment, when you look at the rest of the book of Matthew or the rest of the gospel, you realize that's what he's talking about the whole time. It's about the kingdom of God. Do you value it? Because when you value something, you will invest your time, your treasure, and even your talents, the things that God has given you, you will invest it so that you could advance the kingdom of God here on this earth. And then the last one is equipped to make disciples. That every single follower of Jesus Christ is equipped so they can make other disciples. It cannot stop with you. You cannot sit there and say, well, I'm a follower. I, I, believe, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm good to go. No, because it's a command that God gives us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded us. And then he reminds us, surely I'm with you to the end of the age. So we see here that we have to be equipped to make disciples. Now, some of you are probably sitting there like, why are we going through this whole thing? So you're like, I don't need to take it now. I got it. No, you still take it. Uh, If you haven't taken it yet, it's online. You can then get credit for it by doing that. But let me me just kind of introduce to you that last one, equipped to make disciples, And under each of these five letters, we have different tools to help you to grow in these areas. And the one that we focus in on today and the next two weeks that's coming up is equipped to make disciples. And it's simply the tool that we use, which is the key. Now, I need to go over this because this is going to be our three-part to the sermon series. That's why I'm giving a little bit longer introduction to this. The key simply stands for know the goodness of God. 
The second thing, the E, is engage in the great commandment. As you know, the great commandment is to love God with all your soul, heart, strength, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great command, that we engage in that. That's how we can be equipped to make other disciples, to help people to love God with everything that they have, heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love other people. And the why is to yield to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is guiding us and leading us. And that's what we want to try to train people to do. I mean, it's great that you hear messages. It's great that some of you spend time with leaders and other disciples. But at the end of the day, they will not be with you. They will not go to the bathroom with you. They will not go wherever. You, they, you cannot drag them along. It's your personal relationship with God that you have to foster, not because of all these people spending time with you. And through that, as you begin to grow, you realize your, your greatest leader is Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, He will guide you and He will lead you. And it, the Scripture says, to all truth. And so that's why today I want to focus on know the goodness of God. This is part one. And the reason why, as I pause here, I, I think this is so important is because so often discipleship has been relegated to a program, head knowledge of materials, no more materials, or is a systematic way of doing something. And to you, I, I simply want to say, be careful because then it leads to a lot of human paradigm, which is by works. You will be amazed of how many Christians, professing Christians, even though it's grace, by grace you have been saved, which is by faith. But then the sanctification, which is becoming more like Jesus, it is no longer by grace, but it is by works. And that should not be. Because you're saved by grace, by faith, and then sanctification is by grace, by faith, and then you believe by His grace and by faith, that one day when you die, you will spend the rest of eternity with Jesus Christ. This whole process of the moment that you come to understand the gospel message, all the way to the point that you die, it, the underwriting current of all this is grace. But the problem is, especially being in Asia, it is no longer by grace, but it is by what? Works. You see this all the time. And I think one of the ways you will see it is when you mess up or when you fail or when you don't do something. Our natural proclivity is what? We tend to then try to do more things. Or I'm meeting the pastor. I've got to have my quiet time before I meet. I don't know how many soaps I've got before I met with people. I can't judge your heart. Maybe that's when you were going to do it and so you did it, Okay. But how many times are we driven by works, finding approval, by performance, and what we try to do? And this is the reason why a lot of our discipleship is burdensome. This is the reason why a lot of us are not growing spiritually with joy and with power and God's anointing. Why? Because it's all about you what you do, what you don't do. And that is not discipleship. 
Yes, let me get the caveat is yes, it, it does involve doing things. Yes, it involves not doing certain things that might not help you. But that should not be the motivation in which you do things because you're trying to receive approval or trying to gain something, earn something, because that is no longer by grace. The reason why you read the Bible is because you want to know Jesus more because he's been so good. Can I get a good amen to that? If, if that's not the motivation for you, then why read the Bible and send that soap out to WhatsApp so you can be like, check, no one's going to judge me, not going to go sin and live my life. When was the last time you had this insatiable desire to know more of Jesus Christ, to know more of God, and you realize there is a book and a, that God has provided his inspired word, he breathed on and he inspired people, these people to write it from all different backgrounds, with all different uh, just professions. And so they write about the same thing, which is this Messiah that's to come, this incredible book so we can get to know how good God is. We don't pray because we're going to do this OCR and so we, we need God to deliver for us. We need many souls to come. No, we pray because we know we're weak. There's nothing we can do without Him. That's why whenever I see a prayerless person, it just shows that they're very self-sufficient, they're very self-dependent, and they trust in themselves. Because that means for, what, 20 years of your life, 30 years of your life, some of us 50 years of our lives, we have always learned how to get by by doing things in our own strength and power, and it worked. We saw success. We saw people approve of us. But we've never learned how to pray because we don't understand that we are weak, we are frail, that we need God, and so it causes us to pray. That's why I'm telling you, some of us who are not very talented, some of us where people look down at you, you are the perfect candidate for God's power to work. Because when you pray that God's power will come, and so when you do something incredible, they're, they're not going to be like, wow. They're going to be like, there must be a God. Because there's no way they can do that on their own. I know that. I know him. Or I know her. Oh my God, how did she do that? It must be God. But if you're really talented, they'll be like, wow, Seth, you're, you're, you're great. <laughs> no, please, but inside more, 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 more. Yeah, please, don't. That's why when you're weak, when you're not good at something, and you depend on God in prayer, great things happen. And who receives all the glory? Because surely people don't think you're great, but God is great. That's why our discipleship is more about what we do and what we don't do rather than more about how good God is and motivating us to love Him more and to love people. That's why we've got to get that key to unlock, to make sure that we're following Christ in a way that's not driven by human paradigm and human effort but it's done by the power of God because we see the goodness of God the Oxford dictionary defines key as this first of all a thing that provides a means of achieving or understanding something now it also defined it as a little metal thing that opens up you know so we all know that but we're using this term in terms of a key like a key point a key factor so it's a thing that provides a means of achieving or understanding something. The second part of that definition is this, of crucial importance. 
So if you want to be equipped to make disciples as you become a disciple, then it's important that you understand the key. And so this key that we're talking about right now is talking about who is it that we're focused on when it comes to discipleship. Because it helps us to focus more on God, what He's been doing, and we're responding to that. We're changing the focus, no longer putting the emphasis on ourselves, but we're putting the emphasis on God. So uh, let, me, let me pause here and give you a good example. Don't, don't raise your hand. I'm just kind of giving a scenario here. How many of us, when we are doing LCG, those of you who might not know, that's our accountability group, life change groups. How many of us, when we're in our LCG, or you're just meeting up with somebody at church you haven't seen for a long time, as you come to the cafe or wherever you come, you sit down, what, what do we say? Hey, what's going on? Hey, how are you doing? Right? Unless you're a little bit weird and you're like, hey, I don't know. <laughs> just, but we, we ask, how are you? What have you been up to? And there's nothing wrong with that, but I want you to think about this for a moment. Because as soon as you're doing an LCG, you're sitting down it's like, yeah, how's your week? What did you do? What we are naturally doing is reinforcing works. What did you do? How was your week? And so one of the things that we're trying to help you to refocus the attention is what? How has God been good to you? <laughs> a lot of times when I ask that to people, they go, oh, 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 yeah, God. Uh, and then they have to kind of stumble along and try to think of some things. Because it's no longer about what you do, but it's what God is doing. So why are we doing this? It's because we have gone through 50 days of freedom, this campaign. A lot of the focus was on me my issues, my hurts, my process of going through this. And it's so easy when whenever we talk about things of in the heart, we get so inward focused that we begin to implode. We're looking ahead to this new season of ministry with many people who will be coming to some of your campuses. And those of you in the city ministry, the adults, there will be many people and families who will be coming to Hong Kong and they're going to be moving into our neighborhoods. They're going to be coming into our workplaces. And it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for us to share the love of Jesus Christ. And so we want to look outward. We took a look inward for 50 days. And now we're saying God has worked and He has given us freedom. He has helped us to know the truth. And the truth is setting us free. And it's a continual process. We've just begun. But now I want to start looking outward and say, God, what is it that you have for me to do in light of everything that I experienced in the 50 days? And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to unlock this. And the first thing, and we're going to use a key but we're going to first talk about know the goodness of God. So here's the one thing that I want us to remember. The one thing is simply this. We must praise God for His goodness as we embrace His loving kindness. That we must praise God for His goodness as we embrace His loving kindness. Will you turn to somebody next to you and just tell them what the one thing is? Go ahead and do it without even looking. Go ahead and let them know that you're, you're, you're on point this morning. Come on.
Amen. Some of you are judging each other. You're like, oh my God, he got it wrong. Okay, that's the human paradigm that we keep on talking about. You got to give grace, all right? So there's two things I'm going to highlight in this chapter as we talk about how we're going to, if we're going to praise God for his goodness, as we embrace his loving kindness, there's two things we have to be able to understand. Here's the first thing. The first thing is we must remember God's attributes. We must remember God's attributes. Now, you will, as you, hopefully you've turned to Psalm 147. Right away you will notice in this psalm that it's written by David. And those of us who are not familiar with the Bible, David was a king of Israel. And it was a song of praise. It was actually a song that he wrote. In fact, this psalm starts with a collection of psalms because if you know your scriptures, you will notice in verse uh, chapter 145 all the way to 150 in these six collections of psalm, they are known as songs or the Psalter and being lifted up to God in worship. And so pretty much as we go through this psalm, you realize it's an actual song that is sung to God, but we have to know who it is, what it is, and to whom it, we're singing this song to. So within this psalm, we see very, various attributes of God. Now for me, I, I'm, I'm like a teacher. I'm going to try to make it very simple. And so as a preacher teacher, I'm going to help us to understand. And so instead of going through all the different attributes, I've kind of collected it into two bigger umbrellas of the attributes of God. And so if we're going to praise God for his goodness, then we have to embrace his loving kindness. So let's read verse 1 and 2 first, and then I'll kind of explain a little bit of how the psalm is written out, and then we'll look at the attributes. Here, here's the verse. It says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. So right away in these two verses, the thing that you will notice here is David is writing the psalm, and he's saying, I'm going to bless you, Lord. And as for as long as I live, now, the part that I want you to focus in on here is that right away as he praises God, I want you to see verse 1 again. Just look at verse 1. You will notice that David is declaring that God is my God and my king, which shows that God is personal. He's my God. And that God has authority over his life because he's the king. He was the king, but he's saying there's a greater king that's God. And so he has authority over my life. So this praise to God is not just when David feels like praising God, but you will see in verse 2 that it is every day, he says, every day in which he praises God. Now, I want you to pause here for a moment. What would happen if this becomes our habit? Every day we praise God for something. If you can't think of anything because it was the worst day of your life, you can say, at least I'm alive. I'm breathing. I praise God. Thank you, God, for giving me life. So why all this praise to God? Because David has experienced and understood something about God. Here are the two attributes that he understood and experienced of God. The first attribute is God's greatness. I was thinking about this and I said, when is it or when was it the last time that you actually sensed the greatness of God? I want you to think about this for a moment. When was the last time you just, your breath was taken away like, wow, God is great. 
I would say it's something related to nature. I know that's how it is for me. Sometimes when I go hiking and you go hiking at the right time, the sun is setting, you're on the high elevation. I mean, everything all put together, you're just like, whoa. And you see this greatness of God just being displayed. It could be nighttime when you see the whole night, you get away from all the city lights and you see the stars being, just lighting up the night sky and you're like, wow, God is huge. Wow, the Hubble telescope, the Webb telescope, like I'm actually seeing this live right now. Maybe not as clearly or zoomed up, but it's filling up the sky. Here's another time when some of us might experience the greatness of God. When there is something, a situation that you go through that something good happens and you realize you had nothing to do with it and it was a supernatural or miraculous work of God. You don't study for that exam and you got an A. Please, do not think that it's a kind of weird gift that you have. No, it's not. It's just that moment that God did something that you did not deserve. Some of us who are applying for jobs and you don't know how you got this job. We wonder too. But you know, you don't know how you got this job. But that's the grace of God. How did you get into that school? How did that situation at work where you found favor with your boss or you're sitting right next to the CEO and then you're, you're shaking in your boots and all of a sudden you had a great conversation. He goes, you know what? I want to talk to you a little bit more. And you're like, awesome. And you know it wasn't you. Those things when you're just sitting there like, God is great. There's no way I could have done that. See, what happens is that when you encounter God's greatness, there's a sense of awe and wonder. Let's continue in verse 3 to 6. And I'll, as we're reading this, just try to pull out some of the key things here. Listen to what it says here. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. In verse 3, you notice that David says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. What is he trying to say? Here, listen to some of these different translations so you can understand this. In the New Living Translation, it says, no one can measure his greatness. That means no matter how much, like, God, you're like this great, you cannot measure. There is no unit of measurement in which you can measure how great God is. He is infinite in his greatness. The message translation says this, there are no boundaries to his greatness. That as soon as you think, okay, this is how much, then... He knocks that wall down and he goes further. That's why he goes, he blows your mind. He goes beyond your imagination because that's how limitless God is in his greatness. The NIV says this, his greatness, no one can fathom. You cannot fathom it. You could think about it for a little bit, but then you cannot fully comprehend it. In verse four, David says, God's greatness is so awesome that one generation will tell another generation about who God is and what he has done. God's greatness is further described in verse 5 and 6 as we just read about his mighty acts, his glorious splendor of his majesty, wondrous works, the might of God's awesome deeds, abundant goodness, and God's righteousness. All these things is coming under the umbrella of the greatness of God. You will also notice in verse 4 through 6 
that when a person really experiences and knows the greatness of God, they shall what? And it says here, if you look at it again in these verses, they will declare it, they will meditate on it, they will speak of it, and they will sing of it. This is the reason why one of our highest values, something that we really value in our church, is worship, congregational singing. Now, you can worship God with your life. You can worship Him through doing things with excellence. There's many ways to worship Him. But one of the values that we have is that we like to sing together as a congregation, not only in life group, but when we come together on a Sunday celebration. Now, some of you know, like, the good thing about Sunday celebration is that we have amplification, and then there are other people who sing really loud so that your voice might be horrible, but you could just belt it out and no one will know except for the left and right and the person in front of you. But praise the Lord. But life group, all 15 of you will all know, oh my God, he's singing again or she's singing again. But God doesn't look, that's why I keep on telling people God is tone deaf because he just looks at your heart. You can sing off key and he'll still love you. Praise God. That's why we sing because why? We're, we're declaring, we're meditating, we're thinking about these things, and we realize God's greatness. The natural response should be praise. The exposition, uh, expository dictionary of the Bible word praise. Let me give you the definition. In essence, worship is the expression of respect for Him, being God. Individual worship is, first of all, an attitude of profound respect for God demonstrated in a life of obedience. Praise is addressed to God or His name. God Himself, His attributes, or His acts are the contents of our thoughts, words, and songs. Number two, praise is linked with the believing community's joy in the person of God. Most praise come from those who are filled with the sense of joy in who God is and in how deeply he is committed to his people. Number three, praise exalts the Lord. It is in praise that the believer implicitly acknowledges creaturely dependence on God and explicitly acknowledges God's greatness and goodness. That's a powerful reminder that a lot of times our praise comes out of our experience of God, our knowledge of God. So think about this way. Starting tomorrow, Monday, and all the way till next Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Let's say you spent no time with God. You didn't get in His Word. You didn't pray. You weren't able to look around and see how God has been good to you. And you come in here, walk in here on Sunday celebration, and the question is this, would you want to feel like or would you really want to sing? Probably not. How do I know, Pastor, how do you know that you're judging me? Well, let me judge you for a little bit, for a second. Let me, let, let me, let me say it this way. How many of you who are working, you get up at 7 or 8, I don't know when you get up, you go to work, and let's say you had a whole day. It was exhausting. Meetings after meetings, project deadlines, and just pressure from your boss. And he goes, uh, everyone's trying to pack up because it's almost six. They're like, no, you got to stay one, just 30 more minutes. We have a quick meeting. And you're like, oh, my God, life group. How am I going to do this? I don't know. And, and, and so you're like, oh, sorry, guys. I'm going to be a little bit late, so go ahead and eat without me. And so you're stressing out. You're like, oh, my God, I hate this boss. Why am I working here? Because I have to live. Okay. So, you know, you rationalize through all this stuff. And all of a sudden, you come in, and then we're going to be worshiping God, singing a song. And then you don't like that person who plays the guitar because they're not good anyway. And then when they sing, it's like, oh, my God. And so you're just like... Oh, let me ask you. 
in that moment. Are you like, come on, Jesus. You know, we're ready to worship God. No. I know I'm not. Because your whole mind has been set on things of this earth. You didn't take the time to just even pause for a moment to realize, God, you're still in control. You're still good. You're great. Greater than my boss. You're greater than all the situation that I see. And therefore, it will elicit in me worship and praise. So not only his greatness, which is one of his attributes, the second attributes that I want you to understand to remember, you got to remember his attributes if you're going to praise him for his goodness as you embrace his loving kindness. The second attribute is God's goodness. So you got God's greatness and God's goodness. Let's read verse 7 through 13a. This is what it says here, the word of God. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Wow, God's goodness is so good that everyone will share about it and they will know it. That's what happens when you experience his goodness and you know that he is good in his attribute, then what begins to happen is you're going to want to share it with other people. Uh, how many of you, now I'm going to show you a picture. How many of you have seen these pictures around Hong Kong? Uh, I think there's a couple more. Is, is that just this one? Okay. <laughs> Courtesy of open rice, but uh, you know this. What is this? This is free flowers you can pick and steal. No, I'm kidding. No, that's not it. You, 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 you know what this is. I, I, okay, I, sometimes, sometimes there's that human side of me where I want to be that internal cop. You know? Because I see some people walking, they look, they look around, and they go, you know, and they take it. I'm like, hold on. I'm going. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But I'm like, ah, life, human nature. It just, it just verifies the depravity of man, okay? So anyway, so you know what this is? This is a grand opening of a restaurant or a store, wherever. You see this all the time. And a lot of it is just well wishes from other people, family, friends, and saying, may you be blessed. And I will say this. A lot of times when I see this, I, I do want to poke my head in there and say, what's going on? What, what are they selling? Or what is this restaurant about? Because that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to grab your attention. But can I just say this? How many of you will actually visit a restaurant because of flowers? A lot of times you will trust the God of open rice. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> By the way, uh, I, I, I have personal opinions about that. I'm not going to preach it. I'm not going to talk about it. If you want to know, talk to me afterwards. Like, like pretend you're coming out for prayer. It's like, what's, about, what's up with open rice, you know? But anyway, uh, <laughs> just, just so that you know the history, I, I'm, I'm all about history. It was, it was started by an expat so that he could let other expats know of 
which restaurants to go to. Anyway, I have my, okay, so focus, focus. Jesus, we love you. Okay, so here we go. Many of us would not visit just because of the flowers. What do we come, why do we visit that restaurant or that store? Because of what? Other people. Other people telling other people, you got to check out this restaurant. Oh my God, it's so good. That's what brings you into the door. So I see all this stuff all the time and thinking, okay, let's see how long this restaurant lasts. Because you know how the turnover, it's quick. Because there are some restaurants I liked and I walked in and they're no longer there. I'm like, what happened? I, I did not proclaim it loud enough, you know? What happened? And there are other restaurants you saw, it, but then it closed down and a new restaurant came in. So this idea of sharing it with others is because of an experience that you had that was good. And therefore, you want to share that goodness with others. That's what keeps business in, in, in place, if you want to look at it that way. Or in our context that we're talking about here, is that that's how people get to experience God. Because you're talking about the goodness of God. The phrase, pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, as we see in verse 7. Listen to some of these other translations so you get a better understanding. I want you to say the yellow section with me. It says this. It says, everyone will what? Share the story. Okay, come on. Some of us are not, we're still sleeping. Come on now. On the, let me, let me clear, clearly, on the yellow section above, can we all say it together in unity with some excitement? All right, here we go. Let's, everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. That's what's going to happen when you understand the goodness of God. Here's another translation here. The New American Standard Bible says this. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness. I thought that was good because sometimes you have to remember. Sometimes it's an experience that happened a while back. So you have to kind of bring forth from your memory and then utter that memory. Here's another translation of this verse. It says this in the Amplify. They will overflow like a fountain when they speak of your great and abundant goodness. It is just overflowing. Some of you are like, I'm so shy. I'm an introvert. You know, I, I, I don't, but I'm telling you, you get those introverts one-on-one -on -one and you make them start talking about something that they really enjoy and like, they just talk a lot. I'm like, you ain't no introvert. You're, you're, you just love talking. Because why? You've experienced it and it's good. And then the following verses, we notice God's goodness was being described. What does he say? God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he is good to all. His mercy is over all of his creations. Now listen, you will notice, because I'm putting you under two big umbrellas of the greatness of God and the goodness of God. But in this verse 8 and also in verse 9, there are other attributes of God that I hope that you've noticed. And these attributes are repeated over and over again in different portions of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. That's why the phrase that you see in verse 8 and 9, that, as I've, that God is gracious, He is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, it is identically repeated in Psalm 86 verse 15 and 100, Psalm 103 and verse 8. The exact words, the exact phrase. It also appears in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17, and also in Joel chapter 2, verse 13. Now, the most famous one of this phrase that's repeated from this psalm in other contexts in the Old Testament, the famous one is from the book of Jonah. 
when the prophet Jonah reluctantly preaches the word of repentance to the Ninevites whom he hated and despised. And then they ended up turning to God and he was angry at God for these people turning to God. Listen to what it says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version and you can read the yellow section or at least you can note the yellow section. And this is what it says. And he prayed, being Jonah, to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made the haste to flee to Tarshish. Because I knew, so pretty much he's saying, I knew they were going to repent. Because when they hear about this message of the goodness of God and how awesome you are, they're going to turn and they're going to repent. But I hate these people. They don't deserve any goodness. And so that's why he then says, you are what? A gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. The exact same phrase. How many of us can say that we've experienced the goodness of God? His goodness is even displayed in His power, in His kingdom, which rules throughout all generations. Can I just pause here and help us to think for a moment? When was the last time you thought about the greatness of God and the goodness of God? These two attributes of God. That as you pondered and meditated and thought about these things, you just realized, man, God, you are so great, so much bigger than me. God, you're so good. I, I don't, you're too good, more than I deserve. Because all I did was sin and turn away from you, rebellious, doing my own thing. I disobey. But God, you just continue to be merciful, continue to be good. We must remember God's attributes if we're going to praise Him for His goodness as we embrace His loving kindness. Here's the second point. Let me close with this. And this is the rest of the chapter. We must not only remember God's attributes, but we've got to recognize God's actions. We have to recognize God's actions. That's the only way you're going to be able to praise Him for His goodness. When you're able to recognize, oh, this is what God is doing. Now we're going to look at those actions that's rooted in His greatness and His goodness, these attributes. Let's read verse 13b through 21. It says, The Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. The Lord upholds all who are failing or falling and rises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. And you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him and all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever can we just quickly examine some of those things so we see his actions towards his people and especially towards us the first thing that we see in verse 13 b and we, we just read is god stays true to his promise everything that god has promised we know that he will fulfill you have to believe this. When you think about his greatness and his goodness, these attributes, you realize that has been his action. Everything in my life, he has been faithful. Everything that he, will, he said that he will do, he has done. 
He cannot contradict himself. The second thing that we notice is that God supports us in our struggle. So not only does he stay true in his promise, but he supports us in our struggle. Verse 14, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation from a different angle. It says this, the Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent underneath their load. So those people who are carrying these burdens in their hearts and in their lives, it almost seems like it's going to break them, but it's like God comes under and supports us. I mean, why does he do it? Because he's good. Everyone say he's good. good. Why does he do it? Because he's great. He doesn't have to do it, but he does it because out of his goodness, out of his greatness, because he loves us. That's why we can praise him. That's why we can exalt him. That's why we can live for him. Because even though we're carrying these loads and burdens on our shoulder, that it seems like it's going to crush us. Because of his greatness, because of his goodness, he comes and he supports us. Sometimes he does it just giving you peace. Sometimes he does it by bringing certain people your way where you realize I'm not in this by myself. There are other people who love me and care for me. Sometimes he turns things around when you do least expect it and you realize, man, God is for me and not against me. He's for my family and not against my family. It's his goodness. It's his greatness that does all those things. Not only does he support us in our struggle, but we'll notice in verse 15, he supplies us in our need. It says that when our eyes look to him, then we are expressing our faith because he alone is the source. This is the key that he alone is the source. And whatever we need, it's going to come from him. That's why I like the Amplified Translation. It says, the eyes of all look to you in what? Come on, say this. Hopeful expectation. That's faith. I've looked over here. I looked towards my friend, my parents, through other people. They're great. They love me, but they cannot fully meet all my needs. So you, your eyes are upon God in this hopeful expectation because only God can do it because he's my source. He supplies all our needs. Why does he do that? Because he is good and because he's great. I want you to also notice the phrase in due season in verse 15. It says in due season. Why is that phrase important? Because it shows us that God's timing is impeccable. Everyone say God's timing is impeccable. It is perfect. How many times where we think God is too slow and delayed? How many times we're like, God, you're moving too quick. You know, let me just adjust. But God's timing is impeccable. It's perfect. Why? Because he's good and because he's great. I don't know how many times where I thought we were moving too fast and there were things that I just felt like God was calling us to do and in prayer with the executive team or with other leaders and we're like, we don't know how it's all going to come about. We're going to believe by faith that God is going to do it. I don't know his timing. I'm not God. I, I, don't, I don't have an inside scoop. All I know is his word and what he has promised unto us. And so when we step out in faith, guess what? He not only supplies our needs, he supports us. And so when we think about this, we realize, God, your timing is so good. 
I don't know how many times where we thought we were moving too fast, but as we move forward, guess what? The next thing happens, something just even globally shuts things out. But we moved into something that allowed us to still stay there. There were some things that got delayed, and I was so frustrated, angry at God. I said, God, why aren't you doing this? You said that you wanted us to move in this direction. Why aren't you doing it? And then a month later, we realized that if we did move into that, that would have hurt us as a church. So what do you do? You look back, you're like, whoa, God, you're good. You're so great. You knew this was going to happen before we, we didn't even know it. You protected us. You loved us. So not only does he stay true to his promise, support us in our struggle, supplies us in our need, and then in verse 16, he satisfies, satisfies us with our desires. Now, it doesn't mean that he's going to give us everything we desire because some of our desires are bad. What that means is the things that are basic sustenance that we need, God knows that, and that's why he's going to satisfy us. I like the phrase, you open your hand. Think about this. David is saying to God, you open your hand. This is a powerful imagery of the generosity of God. When you hold your fist like this and you're like, no, no. But with open hands, that's a sign of generosity. Why? Because he's good and because he's great. We see here now, number, verse 17, God secures us in his righteousness. When we know that someone is consistent and they will do everything according to what is right, his righteousness, that's when we're able to trust them. You don't trust people who do things. They say one thing and do something else. You don't trust people like that. But everything he does is righteous. Everything that he does is correct. It is right. That's why we could trust him. Verse 18, he stands with us in truth. It says that God is near to those who call on him. That should trigger your memory of so many other verses of calling out to God and he hears us. The famous one is Psalm 34, verse 18. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. As we're brokenhearted, as some of us maybe have experienced some hurt in your life, when you call out to God, He's near you. And what He does is that He is going to not only save you, but He's going to heal you of that kind of spirit that you've experienced in your life. Some of the hurt, the brokenheartedness. Here's another translation of it. It says this, if your heart is broken, you'll find what? God right there. He's right there. If you get kicked in the gut, he will help you what? Catch your breath. I don't know why. Sometimes I really like the message translation. It's so colloquial. You're like, oh, oh, oh. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. You, you get the picture. In verse 19, God saves us when we're desperate. It's easy to think that this verse talks about God giving us, once again, whatever we desire. But the important phrase I want you to notice here is those who fear Him are the ones that their desires will. Because why? That fearing God means that you are wanting to honor Him. And the things that you desire will be in line with the things that honors God. That's why the Amplified Version says this, He will fulfill the desires of those who fear and what? Worship Him. Put Him in the center of everything with awe-inspired reverence and obedience. That's what it means to fear Him. This awe-inspired reverence and obedience. I was thinking about this. If all of our hearts had this kind of heart and we're worshiping Him in this way, 
the things that we pray about, why would God not, if our hearts are bent towards this? We want to obey you, Lord. We want to love you. We want to worship you. And lastly, in verse 20, God sustains us against evil. I want you to look at that word preserves. You will see that in verse 20. It means to keep, to protect, to take care of, and to watch over. So God is going to watch over us. God is going to protect our family. God is going to uh, take care of all the things. He's going to keep us close to his heart. And all those people who are against God and his people, he says he will destroy. Since God does all these actions that's rooted in his attributes of his greatness and his goodness, we see David once again mentions, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord in verse 21. And then he invites all flesh, which means what? All people. He's inviting everybody to come and to bless God's holy name forever. When we experience God's goodness, then we will invite others to experience God as well. I'm just wondering for us where we are in this. Have you experienced God's loving actions towards you of some of the things that we mentioned? Let, let's go back to that, that list of all his actions. Can you testify you've experienced it this past month, this past year? His faithfulness to us. He didn't do it because you're so good. He didn't do it because you're so righteous or you try to live a good life. That's not the gospel. He did it because he's good and that he's great. And all we know is we don't deserve anything. How deeply do you know this? Is it so deep inside of you that everything within you wants to cry out and praise his name and bless him? That's why I think this really describes the gospel. If you look in the beginning of time in the book of Genesis, you will notice that God's greatness, when he created all things, it was, it was clearly displayed. He did it in six days. We see his goodness. As he created all these things, he created man and woman. He put them in this garden, gave them work to do so he could, they could feel the sense of accomplishment and to do things for God. God's greatness and His goodness was clearly displayed in the book of Genesis. But we come to Genesis chapter 3 and we see sin entering in and that's when man and woman that they separate themselves from God. Because you know what they did? Because they said, you know what? I'm great and I'm good. And since that time until today, human beings are still saying how great I am and how good I am. And they're using religion, they're using all these other things, accomplishments, success, to let everyone know how great they are and how good they are. And the problem with this is that you fall short. We all do. But here's the beautiful thing about the gospel message 
is that in the midst of us declaring how great we are and how good we are, deep inside we know that we're not that great. There's always going to be somebody greater than us, better than us. And then we think that we're good, but we have, we're very uh, generous. We do all this stuff, but sometimes we do it because of our selfish desires, because we want to get something out of it. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. It's not altruism. It's not because you're doing it just out of the pure heart. But in the midst of that, God's greatness and His goodness still shines through. You know why? Because Jesus Christ came into this world and died on the cross. The greatest, the greatness of God being displayed, that here's God in the form of a man who knew no sin, did not sin at all, died on the cross for your sins and my sins. That shows the goodness of God, that He did not want you to be separated from Him. And so through that, in His greatness and His goodness coming together through Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Him, the Bible tells us that you shall be saved. And now, everything we do because we're saved, everything we do, all the goodness that we do is because God has been good to us. And anything that we aspire that seems so great is because we want to magnify and show how great God is. Our motivation is different now. It's not about us. It's not about me. But God, it's about you. Because you are great. And you are good. That's why we must praise God in His goodness as we embrace His loving kindness. If I can just encourage us to take some quick, just little next steps until we see each other again next week. First thing I would share to help you in this process is to share praises of God's greatness and goodness to others. Just make a commitment. You don't have to be weird or religious or people are going to freak out. Just say, oh, I, I experienced something that was so awesome this past weekend or this past week. Share with others. Brag about God. If I could kind of give a sub-little point to this, will you make a commitment that every single time you meet somebody, that you'll simply say, how has God been good to you? Now, if you say that to like a pre-Christian, they're like, huh? Right? Then you're like, well, pastor, tell someone, you're following rules and all that stuff. Listen, some of you are in LCG. Some of you guys are in relationships with one another, mentors. Make a commitment to say, you know what? I'm going to ask that person, how has God been good to you? Because then it shifts the focus, no on them or on you, but it's about God. Or if they don't ask you because they forgot, they fell asleep during the sermon, especially during this time, that all you have to do is you start off and say, you know what? God has been so good to me because. And they'll be like, huh, that sounds so familiar. So if they don't ask you, don't, don't go. They're like, I'm not going to talk to you until you ask me the right question. Don't do that. You start it off and say, God has been good to me because. And as you do that, we're going to build a culture in our church that exalts God, not man. It's about the goodness of God. Second thing is this. Sing praises as you remember God's goodness, greatness, and goodness. Let's never sing a song, whether it's in the beginning or the closing, without remembering how good God is. I want that to be something that we build in our church. The reason why I sing, the reason why I praise, the reason why I exalt is because God is good and He's great. Let's make a commitment to that. 
every time we step into this place, every time you step into your life group, when you sing that song with that bad guitar player with a bad voice, but you still, because God is good and God is great. So you're like, wow, people must stink here and playing guitar. No, we have some great guitarists. We have some great singers. It's just that sometimes some of us just happen to always get the same type of people. But praise God. Because it's not about them. It's not about me. It's about whom? Now everyone's like, oh, God. I thought he was talking about me. I'm not, okay? The third, serve in OCR with a desire for others to experience God. If you've tasted it, you've experienced His goodness and His greatness, I pray that that will drive you and motivate you to serve in OCR, that you want other people. Don't be carrying those big flowers and say, come, come to our church. Let it come out of your lips, your life, your joy, your attitude, in everything that you do. And lastly, surprise people with a bit of God's goodness. <laughs> so I'm like, huh? <laughs> Check this out. Some of you, God's going to speak to you and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless some people and just bless their socks off. Surprise them. I love it that, you know, sometimes I meet people and they end up blessing me just for that coffee and they don't have to I'm like wow that's that's nice sometimes our family gets different things that we don't even know who it's from some people let us know like hey we just we're thinking about it. we're praying for you we just want to bless you I mean those are little surprises where you're like man God is doing something in that person's life think about your co-workers some of them are struggling with their families and other things surprise them this week Hey, I think I, I, I promised that I was going to buy you coffee. Let's go. I'm going to buy some coffee. I'm going to buy some coffee for it. They're like, oh, that's nice. Surprise some people. I'm going to close with this short video. It's a story about this one family. The husband and wife, they're sharing their testimony. And they went through something. And through the prayers of people they experienced a miracle. And this is where they realize God is great and God is good. I pray they will encourage you, help synthesize everything that I talked about today. And then we'll come back and we'll, let's just worship Him today because of His greatness and because of His goodness. Let's watch this together. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we, as we close? What a powerful testimony of God's greatness. He's the only one that could heal and do things like that. Even the doctors, no matter how well trained they are, they knew the inevitable, which is in the human eyes that this person might die, this person might pass away. But God intervened in his greatness. And you could just tell the joy afterwards that when he was healed and he was getting better, that's the goodness of God. Did he deserve to live? No. But he experienced the goodness of God. That's why they're declaring it, sharing it, speaking it. I don't know what it is for you in your life that you're going through. 
that you just need to be reminded of his greatness that he's stronger more powerful he's greater and you need to be reminded also of his goodness it might not look the way you want it to look but at the end of the day it's always good because that's the scripture reminds us that we know that in all things that God works everything for good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose he's great and he's good and as we meditate on that and we think about the gospel we want to say it we want to speak it we want to declare it we want to sing it the greatness of God can I just ask us if we could just bow our heads for a moment and I want to give you some space right now just you and God and first just renumerate just go through your memory of some of the things that you're reminded of today of God's greatness and his goodness you even being here alive you even coming to Hong Kong his greatness and his goodness you being able to even find this community and being plugged in with other people that's his greatness and goodness let's be reminded of that and as you're remembering can you then convert that into some praise and some thanksgiving and prayers just say Lord thank you thank you for your greatness thank you for your goodness these attributes I cannot fully understand but time and time again you just proved yourself to be good and faithful and true so I worship you we're going to unlock the things that God has stored in our hearts and the first thing to do that is by knowing the goodness of God may that motivate us in everything that we do will be for his glory so it's just about a minute minute and a half I want to create this space for you to just remember and then just pray to God let's just fill this place with praises fill this place with prayers trusting believing that God will do a good thing thank you thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast for more information visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net